Yeah, at an evangelism uh, conference that we went to this, uh, this winter, Mark Dever, who uh, I greatly appreciate. We got some books in the bookstore from Mark Dever. But he said something, and I believe there was an audible gasp after he said it. Uh, have you on the edge of your seat on that one? I think I gasped, too. He, said, he was telling about uh, a conversion of, of a gentleman at his church, and he kind of set it up that this guy's a little flaky, a little weird, you know, like, and you know how celebrities and so forth will come say that they've got a, had a conversion experience, and then, you know, a year later, there's, it's, it's done. And so he looked at this guy when he told him, and he said, we'll see. Huh? I'm not sure I would survive that if I said that to someone here at this church, but... It may sound a little bit cynical, but actually I will grant you that the underlying theology of what he was saying was rock solid. The parable of, of the soils. There are some that are sown along the, the path that's beaten down and, and the, the birds come and they, they take it away immediately. And of course that's the imagery of Satan taking that. And, and uh, so, yeah, there's, there's nothing there. All Christians agree, I think, that we do observe something which would appear to be the loss of a confessed faith. That is, somebody makes a profession, they say, I'm a Christian, we go, great, yay, and then a week later, a year later, maybe 10 years later, all at once they're gone. And we, so there's different ways that people explain that. And there's two kind of common ones that, that are sort of, you hear a lot of. Uh, I don't think they actually represent either one the correct understanding of this. The one version goes like this. Well, you know, you can be saved, but you can lose your salvation. Then you can get saved again, then you can lose it again. You can get saved again, you can lose it again. And uh, God becomes kind of like the daisy. You know, the Calvinists have the tulip. The Arminians have the daisy. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And you can go back and forth according to that view. Yeah, you've heard that. There's another view, which I think is wrong, but it's sort of put up as the Calvinist view, and it's not really truly a Calvinist view. It's called eternal security. And in that view, if a person made a profession, then they're golden. That's it. Doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter if they fall away. They could literally become a Muslim. They could become a terrorist, a suicide bomber, blow up a whole church as they go out shouting Allahu Akbar. And according to that position, they're saved. They're taken care of because they wrote something in the back of a Bible or whatever the case might be. And so that God has to, God has to honor the contract. Maybe you fall in one of those two categories. But I think the biblical view, it's the view of most of the reformers, is something that we know as the perseverance of the saints. I believe that is the correct biblical doctrine. And the gist of, the, of this is only those who persevere will be saved. And Scripture's pretty clear about that. Only those who persevere in faith will be saved and those who are genuinely, truly saved, that is, they've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they will persevere. They will persevere. They will make every effort to persevere, yet God will be at work in them to, to will and do according to his pleasure, and they will persevere to the end. So you'll have some people whose faith is not real, and they will make a profession one day, and they'll be gone the next. That, that will happen. On the other hand, Jesus does not lose any of the elect. 
He, he made that clear that he loses none of those that the Father has given to him. There is no, there's nothing there. There are no people of the elect that will be on the mantelpiece of Satan going, yeah, I remember when I bagged that in Africa back in 1908. That was, uh, that was a good one. He won't have any of those trophies uh, to demonstrate. If someone does leave, John says this in 1 John, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and it might become plain that they all are not of us. I think that goes with exactly what I'm saying in, in terms of the doctrine of perseverance. Looking at Colossians 1.23, I thought, you know what? This is so important for the church to understand. And I think a lot of Christians don't understand. I think it's so essential. And Colossians 1.23 is just very packed with, with this teaching that I thought I'm going to give a whole sermon to this topic. So, first of all, plan to persevere. Plan to persevere. Um, once more, Paul expressed what Christ had done for them. He's redeemed them. He's reconciled them through, through his uh, blood of his cross. He's, he's reconciled them by the body of his flesh in death, and, and all of that has brought us to, uh, to God. But he throws in a caveat. You know what a caveat is, right? That's the fine print in the document. Like, you've won a free car, and then, you know, in the fine print, you know, whatever. You, you, you get the idea. There's a little caveat here that you have to take seriously. It says, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, the word if feels a little iffy. I will grant you that. Um, and when you see the word if, you're like, well, is there a doubt? Is there a doubt here? Because you said that if a person is truly saved, they're not going to lose their salvation ultimately. Okay? True. The word if here, as Paul uses it, which... I'm not going to go into all the dry detail, but in the Greek language, if is a conditional, and there are different classes of conditionals. And some ifs are like, yeah, but I really believe this is going to happen, ifs. And there's some ifs that are like, yeah, 50-50, and then there's some ifs that are kind of the exact opposite. This is one of those where Paul assumes it. It's like if, if I said to you, you know, um, you'll get your children raised if you don't kill them first, Right? you're not going to kill them. That, that if is like, yeah, that's just, that, that's there, but it's not that I'm really thinking that you're going to, to kill your children. It's not that Paul really thinks that they're going to lose their salvation, but he's saying this is correct. We must persevere. Four elements of perseverance here that we need to look at. Plan to persevere or continue in the faith. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith. What is faith? Well, on the one hand, it's that profession we're talking about. And throughout the book of Colossians, most of the time, or all the time when the word faith is used, it's talking about that subjective sense of faith. A person hears the gospel of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for sin, and they turn from their sin, and they believe in Christ. And that is faith. That It is through faith that we are saved by grace operating through faith. Yes, that's, that's the faith that we usually understand when we hear the word faith. Faith is also, however, the faith, the Christian faith. That is all of that which the Bible speaks of concerning Christ, the, 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 the elements of the gospel that are so central. These things must be held to by faith. Those who make such a profession are welcomed into a local church, should be part of a local church. Unfortunately, 
Too often in the modern day, we sort of have the gospel out there and people hear it and they make professions and there's no connection to the church. We need the church. They're taken into membership. Maybe you've been in that same situation. You've come to Christ. You're part of the church. That's wonderful. Make plans to persevere in that faith because the day will come, the evil day will come when that will be tempted. You will be tempted to turn away from that profession that you've made or turn away from that truth of the gospel which you believe in. I can think of people right off the top of my head, famous people, that at one time were very solid. They made a profession of faith. And if you ask them today, do you believe in Jesus? They would say yes, but the content of the faith has become something no longer biblical. You're like, I don't think they're really a Christian any longer or ever were, as, as the case may be. So brace yourself for times of testing. Don't be afraid, but at the same time, don't be arrogant. Understand temptation will come. If you were a rock climber and you were climbing with your buddy, I don't know if rock climbers call them buddies. Scuba divers call them buddies. But anyway, you got a guy or a lady, and, and they're attached to you by a rope, and you get to the top first, and you step out onto that, you know, the, the top of the rock, wherever you've been going up to. I don't know if you're a mile up or 100 feet up, but you're up, and you're happy, and you're looking at the glorious sun, sun shining and breathing in the fresh mountain air. And all at once, you hear behind you kind of a Now, that's bad, yeah, because that means they've slipped, the rope's running. What are you going to do? Your first thought, I'm going to cut the rope. I don't think you're going to have time for that. You're not going to have time. So what what are you left with? What are you going to do? You're going to try to turn your legs into trunks of trees, right? And you're going to dig in, and you're going to take your gloved hand, get a hold of that rope, and you're going to lean back as hard as you can and try to, to try to stop them. Otherwise, you're, you're going over the edge. And there's a sense in which we need to plant our feet. And I could imagine if I was sitting in, in the congregation right now, I was hearing a pastor not knowing where he's going, I might say, you're scaring people. Don't scare people. But there is, there is reason for what I'm doing. Look at what Paul says. Think about it. He was on the first missionary journey. He's with Barnabas. They've had great success. They've, they've had churches planted along the way. They've had converts. But then they go back through the same same region, you know, Lystra, Derby, and so forth, Iconium, Antioch, and it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. There's, there's the very same phrase, to continue in the faith, faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Understand that. Understand that. Be prepared for that. There will be trials and there will be tribulation. Hardships come false teachers arise who might not tell you to stop trusting Jesus, but they might redefine who Jesus is, and it's no longer the faith. So be prepared for that. Brace yourself. Plan um, to persevere. Plan to continue stable and steadfast. Those are the next words in the text. It It describes what it looks like when someone continues in the faith. The image is not of a kitten hanging on to a branch. This takes us back to the 1960s, you know, when we had something called posters. You remember those, boys and girls? Now they're memes, but you know the one of the cat hanging on for dear life, and it says, hang in there, baby? That's not exactly what we mean when we say continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Let me give you a different image than the cat for a moment. 
my freshman year of high school, I was at the old downtown Muncie Central High School in Muncie, Indiana. It was one of those behemoth kind of buildings. You know the ones I'm talking about? All stone and, and brick. But it was getting old, and the district said, we got to build this big, sprawling, new $6 million, which in you know, the early 70s was a lot of money, uh, big, sprawling campus, and we got to tear down the old building if it doesn't collapse and fall under its own weight. And, uh, and I'll never forget the story in the newspaper about this. I mean, they got the wrecking ball, and they hit it, and they thought it was going to collapse. And, uh, and, and the building was like, oh, is that all you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it did not come down without a whimper. I'm just telling you, that, that old building, they literally had pictures of bulldozers up on the third floor. How they got them there, I don't recall. Somehow they got them up there, and that's what it took to take that thing down. See, the words stable and steadfast actually are, are structural terms. They're architectural terms that are being used here. The very word stable uh, actually is based on the word foundation. So the idea of what we're talking about is that, that we are to, in spiritual terms, as, as a temple of the Lord, both in the church and individually, that we are to be solid and immovable. As we grow toward maturity together in the church as the temple of God, we are, are supposed to be so firm and stable that we won't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. That's Ephesians. False teachers like those at Colossae can do their worst, but when the smoke clears, there's Fort McHenry. Yeah? The sun's coming up by the dawn's early light. Oh, oh say, is it still? There? Yeah, and there's, there's the flag still flying. It, it, it can withstand. I don't know if you knew this, but when we sing the Star Spangled Banner, we're singing about that battle, famous battle. Francis Scott Key was held prisoner on a British warship. He had to watch what they were getting ready to do. Like, uh, yeah, just check this out, buddy, you American Yankee whippersnapper. And, and they just bombarded the fort at Baltimore for, you know, like a day or two. And it was, it was horrible to have to see. And in that night, it was that, there was that thought that it was going to fall. But in the morning, there it stood. The interesting thing about the story that I did not know until recently, did you know that the Americans were aware for at least a year that this would probably happen? Like this was the logical target. When the strongest navy in the world, the British Navy, unopposed on the sea, like it, there wasn't going to be any serious battle with them on the sea, that they would, they would go to Baltimore and they would, they would attack Fort McHenry. So they had a year to, to reinforce and be ready for that. Is our church stable and steadfast. Are we going to persevere? Are we prepared to persevere? Now, I believe that we are. As I spoke about in the family chat, we have, we have sought as a church to, to build with things that are costly, with costly materials, and we have built upon the foundation of God's word, the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ, his, his cornerstone, and to do things according to that pattern. Why? Because we know an evil day will come. It's, it's, it's all, that will always happen. And so too every Christian as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because again, it's corporate, we're the temple of God, but individually we are also temples of the Holy Spirit. So the question for you today, not only as you think about us as a church, which you ought, but your own life before God. Is your faith in Christ stable and steadfast? Are you prepared? 
Have you made provision? Are you, are you being built within the structure of the local body, being encouraged by brothers and sisters, using your gifts, in being encouraged by their gifts? Are you in the word of God? Are you worshiping? Are you turning from sin, repenting, and, and, and much in prayer? We need to be ready. The day will come, so be prepared to stand stable in that day. Along with that plan to not shift from the hope of the gospel, it continues not shifting from the hope of the gospel. In fact, let's look at the whole verse just to see it in context. If indeed you continue in the faith, we got that, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, do you see the connection of the thought here? If we are to continue in the faith, and if we are to be stable and steadfast, then it is going to be in the hope of the gospel. Now, clearly, if that be the case, if that's central to the whole, the whole idea of remaining and staying, staying stable, we ought to know what the hope of the gospel is. What is the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is everything that we have in Christ. It, it is every promise that is laid up for us in heaven. It is, it is future glory with God, beholding his face, having fellowship with him forevermore, escaping uh, all punishment, having every tear wiped from our eye. It's all of that. All of that is the hope of the gospel. And hope isn't something you yet have. It is the substance of what you're hoping for. It's, it, it lies ahead of us. See, the false teachers, they come along. And they want you spinning your wheels to have it all now. They, 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 they will say things, oh, well, you know, that's just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. What you really need is you need our four-step process in order to have ecstatic visions. That's, that's kind of what the Colossian heretics were pumping. If you just do these things, if you, if you treat your body badly <laughs> in this, this extreme asceticism and you do these other steps that we've laid out and you keep these rules and so forth, you too can have a wonderful vision of a heavenly temple. And you can experience that now. You don't have to wait till you die. Because that thing Paul's talking about, Paul, you know, Paul's, t- you can take him in measure, but honestly, that Paul guy, you know, I mean, he wants you thinking about the future and what's laid up in heaven. Let's get it now. Let's, let's go after it now. Think about it. What if somebody came to you today and they said, hey, you know what, that church down the road, oh, they're just so Bible-centered and all that stuff. You know, that's been around 2,000 years, and what's it really gotten anyone? But I tell you what, if you follow our plan, and we're with Jesus too. We think he was a good guy. Um, but uh, if you do what we want you to do, and you, you do these, these things like, yeah, we're, there's a little fasting, and we want you to stay sleepless for a couple nights, and, and then we're going to give you some hallucinogenic mushroom, and you are going to have visions. It's going to be, it's going to be really. How many want to sign up for that one? You say, Jay, that's silly. Nobody's actually doing that. You'd be surprised. You would be, have you heard of ayahuasca? That, that Americans are spending bunches of money to go down and take in the rainforest, you know, from some shaman. You know, they strip bark off a tree or something, and they cook it up, and they have you drink it, and whoo, you see all kinds of things. And it's just, it's, oh, it's supposed to be so good for you. It's supposed to be so wonderful. You know, think about what Paul has been saying. Go back to what we were talking about, where Paul says, you know, I want you, 
I pray that you're going to be filled with all knowledge and spiritual understanding. I want you to have that. What, so that we can go to heaven now and walk the streets of gold in visionary experiences? Why, why did he want them to have that? So that they could walk in a way that was worthy of the Lord. So that they could please him with, with spiritual fruit. He wasn't pointing them to some you know, shamanic, uh, you know, transcendental, Timothy Leary kind of experience of vision quests and so forth. He's pointing them to the gospel. And the hope which is nested in the gospel, which is largely future-oriented. We do not get everything now, so to speak. We get it in promise. We have, we have glimpses of, of future glory, but we are seen through a glass dimly. Then we will see face to face. And so, so much of our hope is laid up ahead of us. False teachers, they will always come along and they will try to get you to do something that's going to bring it to you right now. Yeah? Why, why, why spend so much time with this dusty book? We can get you there right now. Just don't pay no attention to the man behind the, the, you know, the curtain there. Why read old dusty books? Why? I'm going to offend somebody now. Are you getting, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend you, but, um, you know, why, why worry about this old book, you know? <laughs> um, when some lady 10 years ago, Jesus called her and gave her all kinds of stuff. Every single page will just encourage you and make you feel warm and fuzzy, like a middle-class housewife. You'll just feel like, like that's, like that, why, did I offend anyone? Probably, yeah, maybe, maybe so, but I tell you, you know, it's, it's that promise, like, oh, hey, why, why, why go back here or look forward there? You know, we're going to give it to you right now, your best life now, to quote another famous preacher. Health and wealth for today. What, what are the current Colossian heretics right now that are promising you something now instead of having your hope set upon Christ, that what's laid up for you? What are those things? You can fill in the blank however you want to. That was just an example. So uh, it, could be, it could be a promise of youth, you know, with, with this or that, snake oil, and investments. Travel's a big one, right? Yeah, don't put it off. Travel. Travel's the ultimate. I don't know why right now. Your travel's overrated. I've, been, I've, I've seen Europe. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's all now. Yeah. How do we avoid shifting hope from the gospel? Two quick thoughts uh, on that. First of all, um, just understand that that is the tactic that's going to be used nine times out of ten. It's the bird in the hand, two in the bush thing. It, it demeans that hope which has been preached and believed upon by Christians through the ages. And, and it always wants to get you looking at, well, what can I have right now if I do these special things? You know, what, what, what will that be? So, distrust shortcuts. Just, if, when people come along and they're going to take you that way really fast, hey, i got a three-step program and you can have visions and who knows what all, I would say just, just avoid that. Avoid that. And, and second, make sure that you are holding to the hope of the gospel. You know, that's that song that, that we sang, the first one in, in, in worship, is such a wonderful song because it, it does so much of that, of just like that confession, that profession that we are going, that, 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 that our hope is in him. We long for him. We long for those things that lie ahead. All right, finally, plan to persevere in the true gospel. And I will admit that the word true gospel doesn't appear here, but I'm summarizing three things that I see there. Um, look at it. It says, gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and, on, uh, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, so from what gospel are they in danger of being shifted from? The parameters. It's the gospel that they heard, first of all. Now you have to ask, what was the gospel they heard? Who brought the gospel to them? Epaphras did. Where did Epaphras get the gospel? He got it from Paul. So it was the, the, the gospel of the apostles. And Paul did not, I know Paul is very different, right? Like, like, like even Peter can say of Paul that you know, his letters are hard to understand for some of you. He can be up here at times. But I want to say this. Paul did not preach a boutique gospel. Paul preached a meat and potatoes, common man gospel that everyone could understand, and it was proclaimed in all of creation. Not just by Paul, but by people like Apollos and, and, and Barnabas and, and, and all, of, all of the 12. You know, Peter, Peter says something very similar. Uh, we don't give Peter as much credit sometimes for being as, as flowery with his words, but look, look what Peter says. It sounds so much like what Paul's saying here. Acts chapter 4, this is right after Pentecost. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what gospel did they hear? They heard the apostolic gospel, the gospel that had been proclaimed everywhere throughout the world, even in that day. And Paul says, of which I became a minister. So it is, it is the authentic, true, Pauline, apostolic gospel that they believed upon. And that's what we must believe upon. Pastor Timothy Keller died a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you were kind of paying attention or not, but he was a, a great guy. He was a wonderfully articulate, soft-spoken, as, a, as far as pastors go. I mean, I think he was kind of, he, he, you know, he wasn't super loud, but he was, he was perfect for New York City. He had a philosophy degree, and he was able to engage, and he was just, and, and, the, and we will miss him. We, we, we will miss the fact that he is, is gone. But even though he was so articulate, what was the gospel that he was sharing with New York City? Same one. Same one. No, I mean, no different. Just nuanced a little as he talked to people in New York City, but it was the same apostolic gospel that he was preaching. Now, you're stuck in Great Bend, Kansas, not New York City. A fact for which I think you should be thankful when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, but I do have to say you're not getting Timothy Keller here, right? You're just getting some, some guy, you know, what, whoever happens to be here. Uh, but, but what is he preaching? Same gospel, the same gospel that has been preached in innumerable languages by innumerable servants. I love the story of Spurgeon. You know, Spurgeon's conversion story is so interesting because it's like a polar opposite irony of uh, ironies. Like, okay, so Spurgeon became the Timothy Keller of his age on steroids. Like, he was the guy. He was. He was. He wrote voluminous amounts of material. He was so effective. He was so articulate. So many converts. It was amazing. But his conversion, how many know the conversion of Spurgeon, by the way? Yeah, some of you? Yeah. He was out one evening. He, he, he was a young man at the time, and, and he, he didn't have saving faith in Christ, or at least he wasn't sure of it. And he was out walking. It was in the winter, and uh, it was snowing badly, and he couldn't get where he was going, so he turned into this little, this little primitive Methodist chapel. And they didn't even have the regular preacher there. 
They had some lay preacher who just kind of rose to the occasion. He had a passage out of Isaiah, you know, look unto me and be saved. And he was just, he, Spurgeon says he kept repeating it over and over because clearly he hadn't really worked up a lot of a message there. And he was just kind of applying it. At one point he looked at Spurgeon. He goes, you look miserable, you know. It doesn't take much to look, you know. Just, just look to him. That's about all of the message that he, that he got in, you know, with the basic gospel. And that's what saved Spurgeon. It's not, it's not, about, it, it's not about the guy. Yeah, it's not about the guy, whether it's Paul or Epaphras or Keller or Spurgeon or whatever untrained man of God, it might be in all points in between. That was the hope of the Colossians. The hope was the gospel. The gospel hope was that which was laid up for them in heaven. And Paul says, persevere in that gospel. Don't shift away. Don't let someone pull you away. To paraphrase Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 where he goes over the gospel, he says, this is the gospel. He says, this is what you've believed. This is is what you've taken your stand upon. This is that by which you are being saved. So know that gospel, love that gospel, have your hope in that gospel. Stand there. Be encouraged, dear ones. That that if, again, that, that if you continue assumes you will. Paul can write to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If you are truly in Christ now, you will be in Christ on that day. And yet we we are to persevere. And yet we are to make every effort. Remember the gospel that you have believed. Grab hold of the gospel like Jacob wrestling the angel. I think that's a good heart to have. Right? Don't be passive and, oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm told that I'm going to persevere because God's got me. Yes, God does have all assurance in that. But at the same time, man, I, just like that, that illustration, you know, get braced, wrap your arms around and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He died on a cross. He was buried. He rose the third day. Those who have believed in him have all the hope of that. Everything, all the promises of God in him are yes and amen, and they are laid up for us in heaven, and we are looking to that day when he will return. So let that be where your hope is. Make no apologies. People will mock you. They'll say, oh, you know, Christians, you know, pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. Like, no, it's not just that. We're trying to live in a godly way now, in a way that pleases and is worthy of him and bearing fruit, but our hope Hope's future. Hope looks to that day. Be sharp. Many will come, and they will try to pull you away. It's the nature of it. That's why Paul had to encourage them to remain in and continue in the gospel. It might come in all kinds of different forms. It might be two really well-dressed men in white shirts, and they'll usually have like a little name right here, and, a, and they're wearing a tie, and they will... They'll say things like, yeah, you want to hear about the new gospel or something. I don't know their exact sales pitch, but it basically comes down to, well, you know, you had that old gospel. We got the new improved version of the gospel that's, uh, that's even better. Don't you, don't you want to hear about that? No, no, I don't. And it could, it could be so many other things that, that tries to move you away from that foundation of your faith, the faith that you have professed. Don't let that happen. Plan to persevere. If you don't have Christ, then uh, guess what? I think I've shared the gospel in one shape or another three times, probably in the course of this message. So, but you probably didn't hear it, depending. 
That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a weird thing. Sometimes people are so closed that they can hear the gospel over and over again, and, it, and it's like it never really registers. But the gospel is simple. It, it is that Christ died for sinners. He was buried. He rose the third day. That if we turn from everything else, our sin, our waywardness, our own ideas, our, our rebellion, and we look to Jesus Christ and believe upon him, that's faith. We will be saved. And when that happens for you, and I pray that it's soon, then plan to persevere. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we pray for anyone that knows you this day, that, that these words will have encouraged us. Lord, we, we don't really believe that word if there is saying that we're likely to turn aside. But Lord, help us to remember that we are to continue. And, and to make every effort to continue to plan for that, knowing that there will be those who will come and they will try to uh, knock us off our foundation. Lord, help us to be stable and steadfast. And Lord, to keep our hope where it belongs, to keep our hope in all that is given us in Christ. And may that be joy to us and may that be our, our, uh, our great focus and our great hope right now. We pray that if there's someone here today that does not know you, has not known you, but today, Lord, if, if you are opening their eyes, then, Lord, I pray that they would just cry out and call upon you. You do say that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray that you'll bring them to faith and that even now, Lord, they would call upon you and receive your salvation in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.